0: Welcome to episode 18 of the Tech Gypsies Podcast. I'm Audrey Waters.
1: And I'm Kim Lane.
0: And I'm back in Hermosa Beach, and you're back in Hermosa Beach.
1: Yeah, we're together again for the 18th time. (laughs) For
0: the 18th time. Right. Through the magic of actually physical space instead of the magic of splicing two audio tracks together.
1: Yeah, so I don't, I didn't, normally we come together and we have a list of news articles that we tend to include in the show notes, I think we only had one story this week, but um, I thought how, you know, because I didn't, I mean, I have a lot of bullshit API news I could put on the list, but rather than doing that, I figured what you were doing this week was actually fairly interesting, I think so, and I think relevant to what's going on in the space right now, so... Let's let's work there. What were you doing this week? So
0: um, I got back uh, late Friday night. I have been in Fredericksburg, Virginia, all week. Um, I was one of the instructors at the Digital Pedagogy Lab Institute, um, which it was a five-day long event at the University of Mary Washington, um, and I uh, was the instructor for the track called action. There were four tracks. One was sort of an introduction to digital pedagogy. One was, and that was led by Jesse Stommel and Sean Michael Morris. One was on design led by Amy Collier. Uh, Lee Scalarup-Bissett did one on Praxis. And then mine was on what was called action, but, but sort of about Activism, well, not sort of entirely about activism <laughs>
1: <laughs> and a- activism like how like uh, going out in the streets and
0: well uh, i mean sure it i mean i was it was a little it was fairly open ended um, you know I wanted the the participants to sort of be able to decide what they wanted to what they wanted to talk about, but really my goals were f- for the class were to think about. What does action um, look like using digital technologies? Uh, um, what counts as action using digital technologies? Um, how does how does education um, what role does education play in sort of critical engagement in activism? Um, and how does you know how does technology shape this? How might we find ourselves further constrained or with new opportunities um, to, to, to to sort of make social change um, depending on who we are, depending on where we are, and also depending on sort of our familiarity or not with new digital tools.
1: Yeah, I like, um, I mean, what what your workshop was on is kind of derived from I mean coming out of Mary Washington we've done a lot of what we call reclaim work with with the folks there um, last couple generations of folks but um, working on things that help people just understand what I would say is 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 their digital self is their digital footprint and this um, footprint that we're leaving um, every day and I think it has to do with the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world but um, you have this way of teaching it to people. I think that makes it much more. Um, I tend to come from the tech side, and you tend to come from I don't know, just the more empowering and activism side, and getting people that are not techies. I think um, aware of this, and I think that's super critical.
0: Well, um, I mean, we talked. You know, my my class talked about a lot of different things, and we actually, you know, we actually started the um, we started the week off as sort of an introduction lesson to sort of asked people to tell me what they do right, and to write down the verbs associated with what they do, um, and then we talked about whether those verbs what again like what counts as action and what counts as activism um, and I think that this you know what counts uh, is really interesting to me when you think about the um, with these other sorts of um, i guess in some ways sort of cultural or, or ideal ideologies at play. Uh, I hear from entrepreneurs a lot that i don 't do things like i don 't do anything, I just talk and write or i don 't make things, I only criticize i don 't build things um, and like other academics, they say, academics are only in the business of tearing things apart, and so I think there 's a lot of these dualisms um, uh, where certain things get privileged. Um, and uh, so I, I wanted the class to start off by thinking about you know what what counts what what do people do and and again what what if any of those things count as act as activism and, and but then we quickly sort of made the move to talk about the technologies that we use um data and privacy and security. And then I think leading up to, for me, one of, I mean, I I say this a lot and people sometimes scoff at it, but to me, leading up to the really um, core, the most important piece, what I would say, the most important piece of education technology um, period right now, um, it sort of grew grew out of University of Mary Washington and... uh, and that's the Domain of One's Own project. And so I wanted to take that build upon, build upon what um, UMW, UMW offers its students and staff, and also just talk about the politics, I think, of, of personal data, uh, the politics of, personal, of publishing online, the politics of the web, um, but also thinking about what does, that, what does that look like in terms of, in terms of activism?
1: Well, I think I mean the important parts for me. What you're you're teaching there to the average folk is, is you know a lot of the pushback we get on reclaim is people uh like to say you know startup entrepreneurs, IT folks say people just don't care about this stuff, and and I like how you're weaving you know activism doing something in with just the, I think, what most people just consider the mundane part of just just being a person online every day using Twitter, using Facebook writing on Tumblr, doing the the things that we do, but helping people understand that these tools that you use every day, um, Skype, Slack, Twitter, Facebook, all of these things, ha- have potentially some very um, uh, activist-oriented things that you can do or just, just being aware that you're using it and understanding and having basic digital literacy, understanding what a domain is, what a URL is, where your data exists here or there on Tumblr or on Facebook, I think can be uh, a kind of activist statement and hey, I'm, I'm fucking aware. I know what my shit is, where, it's, where, it, where it resides, and I'm, I'm actively, you know, at least participating in that conversation.
0: Well, for me, I think unfortunately, um, the, you know, the school, in school, um, teachers compel students to use tech projects products. Some schools compel teachers to use certain tech products as well. You don't have a choice if you're a student and the teacher or the school makes you use Blackboard. You don't have a choice if you're a student and the school or your professor requires you to submit your stuff to turn it in. And so I want people to really think a lot more critically about the, the tools that they compel people to use. Because it's one thing to make the decision and um, on your own, and ideally an informed decision, to adopt a certain tool. You, may, you might decide to play Pokemon Go even though um, the... You know, that it's a massive sort of honeypot of data collection. And the person who is the CEO of Niantic has been involved in some pretty shady, anti-privacy, horrific um, actions in the past. But you might decide you really love little virtual monsters and you're going to do it anyway. But hopefully you've, you know, hopefully you've really weighed that decision. But it's really different than when you make your students use Pokemon Go, Right. Um, and make your students, force your students to use it in order to participate in an assignment, in order to get a grade. And the, so, I mean, I think that there are questions about, you know, as you said, the questions about digital literacy, questions about data literacy that are pretty sub- important. But then there are, there's also this added ethical component, um, which is what are we requiring students? What are we requiring teachers use?
1: And that's, I mean, that's why I feel like what you do with the edtech stuff is super critical because it's, it's kind of ground zero for a lot of these things that are going to be set in stone to a certain degree when it comes to behaviors and expectations with students as they, they move into adulthood and and being adults, being uh, people in the workplace, being people in government, and how they perceive technology, how they make informed or uninformed decisions, and this is kind of why you know, the the Microsofts of the world and people like to get their clutches in because if you, you know, think project management in a digital world is Microsoft Project from the early on, that's what you're probably going to use in a workspace. And so I think that a lot of these these behaviors and decisions and things that get set or the tone of, that gets set in at the university level or K through 12 is pretty critical.
0: Um, yeah, um, Martha Burtis, who I think is you know responsible for uh, or in in many ways for the for the domain of one's own um, uh, initiative at University of Mary Washington she gave the keynote on, or one of the keynotes on on Friday morning at this event she talked a lot about her personal story but also um, more, more broadly sort of these questions about why the domain stuff matters and why the decision, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s for universities to sort of go all in with the course in the box model of, of the learning management system and not go all in with the web, right? Um, why that has, I think, profound implications and Martha and I, you know, we did another session together and she made a really good comment where people often say in ed tech, you'll hear people say, well, it's not the tool, it's the teaching that matters. But actually the tool matters, right? These, you know, I mean, and I say this a lot, these tools are ideological. These tools don't just, um, these tools constrain. They don't just open up possibilities. They actually constrain possibilities. They actually circumscribe what we do. Um, And I think that there are ways in which by making certain technological decisions that you actually limit very greatly what kinds of then pedagogical decisions you can make. And you actually limit quite greatly the kinds of things that your students can do. And I think that that's why, for me, thinking about understanding how the web works, like technically how the web works, Um, ideologically how the web works um, economically how the web works is so important because then you can also help people understand the ways in which these various internet technologies, not just the web but various internet technologies how they impact and again circumscribe your life, and not just your life as a student, and not just your life as a teacher, but as you said, your, you know, your life as an employee, your life as a citizen. Um, so without the sort of understanding of, of these tools, um, I fear that we just, we just sort of accept a certain version of technologies that are already sort of have certain possibilities shut down for us in the interest, for example, of companies making money off our data.
1: Well, and I think this new wave of, uh, you know, I mean, they're API-driven from my vantage point, but data-driven decisions um, that are being made around technology and what gets sold and that, hey, we're going to sell you this or we're going to give this to you for free as a school district or as a teacher, and just because it's a honeypot, we want all your students' data and we're going to be able to get at this. I mean, that those types of decisions are just... I think masking you know, people are, are hiding behind this kind of next generation. It's, what's 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 was old school IT saying, Hey, don't worry your pretty head about this, where you know, IT's taking care of it to this new Web two O and then this new di- you know cloud era where it's like convenience and ease and oh it's all done for you, use this, it's e- it's the easiest for you. It's in this walled garden that's safe, um, protected, convenient, all these things. But you don't know what you're giving up you know that terms of service that you're agreeing to is um has has all of these business motivations and these other things going on that you aren't you know you aren't supposed to worry about it's over your head it's it's too big here just use this and the fact that this is being shoved down our throats early on in K through 12 and and higher ed and people think that You know, blogging is medium. They think that, uh, you know, computers, you know, uh, data analysis is Microsoft Excel. You know, they think, um, you know, they don't know anything about DNS, like you said, uh, domains, addresses, any of that, how the web works, how URL works, um, I think are are huge, dangerous points and all.
0: Well, I mean, you you said something about, um, we've, the, the, you know, so the story goes that we're pushing people into using tools that are easier. And certainly I think that that's, you know, that's part of the marketing is that it's easier, quote unquote, to post an update to Facebook or to Twitter than to have your own blog. But I, I feel like, I mean, for me, I kind of want to push back on that because I think that, you know, I don't think that any of these tools are necessarily intuitive at all. How Twitter works is not intuitive. Twitter is, on one hand, it it it, I mean, it's just there's a blank, and you have 140 characters to type, and then you hit the tweet button. But how Twitter works in terms of the following, the retweeting, um, how the the way in which. Um, communities work, the way in which Facebook works, how your how the algorithm serves things in your newsfeed, what to say, how to friend people, how to unfriend people, how to protect your privacy. Those things aren't actually those are, they are not actually easy. Right? I mean you get accustomed you sort of we get accustomed to the way in which the Facebook interface works, but Facebook is a piece of shit. Like it's broken all the time, I mean, I open up Facebook and I get like the spinning wheel of death. It doesn't always load. I start typing things halfway through it like it it doesn't it doesn't work <laughs> Facebook doesn't work well um but yet we're sold this bill of goods as though somehow Facebook and Twitter and fill in the blank with any of these things are preferable and easier for people to use, and they're often framed in terms of some really sexist language, like it's so easy your mom can use it, right? Really sort of the sort of sexism um, that's sort of deeply embedded in, in what technologies we think people should, should feel comfortable with. But the Web 2.0 stuff is actually pretty complicated and unnecessarily complicated. And there was a certain, there is a certain simplicity to a static HTML page, that you um, use a some sort of file transfer p- protocol process to post to a server. Like that's that's a, that is not a complicated. But we've been we've sort of been told that we have to adopt all of these increasingly complicated. Tools um, because they're easier. Like it's this sort of really perverse logic that it's easier to use these really complicated tools than it is to learn how web pages built in HTML um, work. And so for me, that was one of the that was one of the things that I I wanted um, the folks in my class. Everyone in my class, well, everyone at the institute got their own domain thanks to Reclaim Hosting. I wanted everyone in my class to finish the week with their own domain. For me it's super important to have your own space that you don't you aren't being circumscribed by and constrained by the template of your identity that Facebook gives you or by the template of the identity that Twitter gives you. You can actually present yourself. There's there are less restrictions, there are fewer restrictions of how you present yourself online if you actually Control the way in which your, your website works. And if you even take it one step further, there are less constraints if you are building it yourself out of static HTML pages than if you're using a blog. I mean, I feel like a blog and, a, you know, I, I know people love WordPress. Uh, I don't have anything necessarily against WordPress, but I think it's over-complexifying something when most people don't actually want blog they don't want to blog they don't want to feel obligated to write things they just want to be able to have a place on the internet where they can post some stuff
1: yeah I think the the I think uh, you've said it a few times the the whole templated itself who who came up uh, ooh, that's ooh. amber case amber case that's right um, but you know as far as these 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 kind of buckets that we get put into because of um I think the network effect that that rises up in on the twitters on the facebook's on the the youtube's and these things that we like if you you're online because web 2.0 was such a huge thing and blogging became such a huge thing it's like oh you you want to be online you need a blog you need a blog and the pressure of blogging and doing this for a lot of people it was um Proved enough to like keep them away from having an online presence, I think. And same with you know LinkedIn being well, if you're you're a business professional, you gotta have LinkedIn as well as having your own blog and all and 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 I think WordPress for me is that poster child of yes, it's 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 done a lot for getting a lot of people having their own site and and growing I guess the web out, but growing it out in a way that these people really aren't that digitally literate. Um, some of them go, I think, down a road that's that's more digitally literate, but I think a lot of them end up just with a stagnant website domain that's in someone else's walled garden, and they're just a security hole. They're not actually learning anything. They, they're not keeping it up to date, either from an update site or a blog post uh, standpoint. So it's just like this security hole and it's just bloat, and you could do the same thing with just a couple of static pages in a Jekyll. And we get a lot of pushback on this with trying to help people understand Jekyll. And, and we use GitHub pages as, as part of this, but really Jekyll can run on Amazon S3, on Dropbox. It can run on any host or any server. Um, it's just a way of doing static sites, and people tend to push back and go, Hey, this is like, whoa, whoa that's way too complex. That's overkill. Um, to set me up a WordPress site, which is the opposite in my mind. It's like, whoa, you just introduced the whole shitload of complexity into uh, the publishing of a static HTML page or a single PDF file or something. Why? Why do this? Here's how DNS works. Have your own domain. You can. There's plenty of free places to host. And so I think people with these software-as-a-service solutions really want you in their garden because they can make money off your data, they can make money off your headcount, and I think a lot of these digital literacy things get caught, uh, uh, lost in, in, in those quests, I guess. Well,
0: I mean, I think that that's, you know, that's the piece for me is that WordPress is actually too complicated for me. I, I don't have the time right now to mess with my SQL right i am not interested in being responsible security wise or or any of the other overhead around running a database right and so for me i have found jekyll to be super easy and the knowledge um you know the knowledge that i'm able to um i am pretty i'm I'm really comfortable with HTML so I'm able to mark up I'm able to mark up pages right I'm able to sort of use the markup language to post static web pages um, and for me I mean being able to show people how to make um, being able to show people how to make a really simple landing page for your website right and that your landing page for your website isn't the isn't a reverse chronological order of from of a blog that sort of underscores that the last time you blogged was you know February of 2015 like so so, I mean I think it's just having a having a simple landing page for folks and then take the rest from there but you have the pressure off of sort of highlighting that you're sort of a negligent blogger because I mean most people most people aren't writers. And most people really don't like the pressure of feeling like they have to write. And most people's sites don't get updated. Updated in terms of like you were saying, updated in terms of new content or also updated in terms of the various security upgrades with WordPress, et cetera. And so just being able to say here, it's just it's just a static HTML page, I think is pretty important.
1: Well, I think we're we're so easily allow things to be lost in this constant shuffle of technology. I mean, this is one of the lies that gets told is like technology is, is constantly moving forward. We're caught up in that. There's no denying it. It's inevitable. Um, Move fast, break things. All there's all these messages around technology just moves fast, super for you know, and you have to, you have to deal with that where like for most people, like having, I think just a really basic version of reclaim. You know, when we when you and I talk about reclaim to people, people you, you know you get a, a, an assorted responses. As people are like, "Wasn't well, that just GoDaddy?" And which I think again is is an excellent example of this. It's like GoDaddy will sell you 180 different things that you do not need for your domain. Simply not. I mean, just so they can sell you something, and it makes this whole thing super overwhelming, super. Um, technical, over their head, and people get get, get overwhelmed. Very similar to like you used to in the old IT days where you know the, the IT would say, oh, this is just super complex. There's only a certain class of us who can do this. I think this, this new software-as-a-service version likes to do this and overwhelm you with features. But then also, I think the inverse of that is what do they take away? And you um, post, the one story you did post that'll be in the show notes is the lost infrastructure of social media which i think kind of is the 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 dark side of the moon the godaddy moon where like you go to a page hey you want your domain you also want this you also want this but the other side of that that dark side of that is is in taking this this walled garden software as a solution one slowly things start disappearing that you wanted you know because you're you're making these trade-offs for convenience or for this network effect and before you know it um the API's gone or the RSS is gone or the ability to share or follow people on other networks or export to to the other social network and and I think they like you know the the people who in who run these platforms like to Make these things disappear and and in a way that you're you're really not going to notice.
0: so that's an article by um, Anil Dash. Um, there are a couple of pieces about it that I thought were really that were really interesting that um, that you know when I think about um, having being an early blogger and some of the ways in which i don't know if you would i don't think I really cared about a network effect I wouldn't have ever used those term that that phrase to describe what I did but I felt as though I was very quickly part of of community of online community through my blogging and some of those were I mean obviously community is people right but but those were facilitated by technologies that no longer exist the blog or not technology I mean but sort of technology slash services that no longer exist Um, things like the blog role I mean I do love it when I go to people's websites today and I still see that they've maintained a blog role the blog role is cool like the blog role is how you discovered new writers but other things like trackbacks Right. So when you mention someone else's article or uh, mention someone else's blog post in your own, that their site got pinged. Right. Um, Things like, um, you know, things like um, tagging and stuff that would uh, let you find, um, you know, discover people's work like Technorati right I mean just the way in which you you were able to discover things through search that was not about searching the web but search that was around tagging discovering people who were writing about similar things to you. I mean when I was, you know, when I was blogging at that time I was writing about cancer and I was writing about grad school. And very quickly I found people. I mean, you know, many of whom are still online and many of whom I think are some of my dearest friends, but like the, the we managed to find each other and we managed to build networks that were valuable without relying on things like Facebook. Or Twitter, or Medium, and the network effects of Medium. We built it ourselves through our community, but we relied on these technologies of again, like aggregation, syndication. There were a lot of these tools that were the building blocks of early, you know, the the, sort of the early web community. That as Web 2.0 sort of exploded and things moved off of the web, and into these walled gardens, that it's not just that we lost that community but we seem to have forgotten these other tools. I mean, I think that's what I like, you know. I mean, you know, Anil has written several times about like the web we've lost, but I do think that, and I don't, I mean, and that, that nostalgia is, I think, dangerous in some ways because there were many things about that that weren't great either. I mean, I think we can build a better, we can build a better web. We can all, we can build a better web and that's a political undertaking and that's a technical undertaking and they're connected.
1: Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I don't think we're saying that, you know, some of these companies, these these, you know, the mediums of the world and the and the slacks can't potentially build out this this better future that we're looking for or a portion of it. I think where our uh, gri- biggest gripe is 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 they don't do it on on terms that 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 help us out as much as it helps the platform out. I I think they're they're stacking the deck and and making everything. Um, in their favor, and 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 I think these these decisions and and motivations evolve over time as they take on more funding, and as they become bigger, as they go public, as they get acquired, and these are all again things that that don't have our best interests as users in mind, but very much are you know have our entire lives our personal worlds our business networks and and we're just treated as a commodity in all of this you know when Microsoft buys LinkedIn you know what does that mean for my professional business network not a fucking thing they get a you know capitalize on 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 my entire world and so having you know these you know and I see it I talk about with API providers very often they you know instead of having their own blog they have it on medium what does that mean and then people go well it doesn't matter cuz i can have it anywhere i can have it on tumblr i can have it on medium it doesn't matter i'm like well what it does matter is it's not at your domain you just put you just gave away your intellectual exhaust to to medium for the for this network effect okay i i guess if you want to make that trade off but then somehow like half the sites seem to not have an rss feed either and i don't under, i haven't dug into this with with medium but um some of them have it some of them don't some of it seems conscious some of it doesn't and and then other blogs that are not on medium that i track on don't have an rss feed and people are go well i don't need it anymore i just tweet it out why do you why do i need rss anymore i just you just post it on twitter and everyone sees it well that's not exactly how you know twitter doesn't work exactly like rss feeds and i may miss your tweet or you know the way the algorithm works. Um, Twitter now decides whether I get to see this or not, and decides whether it's important. And so I just think people aren't um, aware of the trade-offs they're making with some of these decisions.
0: Well, um, Tumblr's going to be Tumblr's going to go away.
1: That can happen to a big thing like that, right? And I mean, that would never happen. And we've
0: seen so the company will go away, right? The um, Medium will go away, eventually. I mean,
1: my posturous blog is (laughs) still very highly trafficked.
0: (laughs) Your posturous blog has gone already gone away, babe. The um, but you know, but even if you have it something at Blogger, it can go away, and Google can make it go away without having to give you a reason. I mean. Twitter can make you go away. Twitter can make you go away without necessarily giving you a reason. Um, and of course, nothing—you know—nothing is safe. I mean, obviously, you could still run into problems hosting your own domain because you're, you know, you're actually just sort of um, renting the domain, right? You don't own your domain. The infrastructure is all around us. The infrastructure of tech is is not ours. I mean, it's all precarious. But the least I think you can do is to is to be aware of the precarity, right, and the fragility, and the corporate layers, and the data tracking that sort of all of this effort is shot through with. And then I think you know for, for education, we have to do a better job with um, with making sure that our that students understand this as well.
1: Well and I think bring I just posted another link in the Slack channel we can add that I jogged jog my memory is from A C L U saying is a story on making sure the revolution gets televised. And one of the the stories they tell is of a of a um of a person in Maryland who, you know, the police came to her apartment and when she refused to let them in she started recording it and basically, you know, the the officers were able to ask Facebook to like Shut this shit down, and they did. and so the importance of I think when the stakes are this high is, as we're seeing with a lot of the 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 police and surveillance kind of state ac- activities that's going on, is like where that photo, where that video, where that tweet, that blog post goes. And who has control over that domain and filtering. As we see, it could be algorithmically filtered out. It could be um, DMCA takedown filtered out. There's many different ways to filter this content. Not, and like you said, not that it can't happen when it's your own your own domain. Because like land and, and property ownership, we don't ever actually own our land. Um, it can be taken away at any point. Um, through taxes or whatnot same thing with domains is is you know um that that can be shut down and we've seen the the department of justice do that and stuff like that but the the chances that you will have more control over it um for a period of time is greater if it's your domain and i think it's just super critical that people uh are are thinking about this at every turn
0: amen